Hi, I'm Sam Smeltzer, and you're listening to the Heartworker Book Club Podcast, where we talk about the powerful cultivation practice of reading and writing to inspire both personal and professional growth. We chat with authors about their stories, their books, and the art of the written word. Welcome to the club. I'm so happy you're here. Hi there, and welcome to the Heartworker Book Club podcast. Uh, I'm Sam Smeltzer, and I'm so excited to be with you today. Um, yeah, this is a little weird because I am sharing for the first time, giving you a sneak peek into my brand new book that's coming out in June. I think it's June 11th called Workplace Healers. Um, and you know, I just it obviously makes sense to share it with this audience first. Um, but it's weird because I have not talked about this book yet in public. I've talked about it to those who have been helping me with the editing process. We are in the final stages of putting all these pieces together, um, which I'm really excited about um, and doing the final editing. So it's it's still not this tangible thing in my hand, even though technically it is fully written. So I thought to set the tone for this book um, for you, but also for me, just to kind of get in the right mindset, I thought what might be best is to read the introduction called The Unsaid. This was what I scripted originally, probably two years before I wrote this book. So this book was already scheduled or on the timeline or the to-do list to happen when I wrote the HR Intuitive um, before COVID hit. And um, I wrote the HR Intuitive and then I kind of like put it off. But at the time when I proposed the two books, I already had written this chunk of the introduction. So I knew that this was part of my writing path. Um, And then finally, my editor uh, about a year and a half ago kind of said, it's time for the next book. Um, I'll also say that this book was supposed to be titled The HR Healer. So when I originally wrote The HR Intuitive, I automatically assumed this would be its kind of companion and sequel called The HR Healer. But what we have found is on the release of The HR Intuitive, which I don't regret the title, is that people are limiting themselves on if it applies to them because of the HR component in the title. And in fact, if you've listened to the other podcast, The Heart of It podcast, and the episodes I've been doing with Dave Chiverini, who is the actual literal voice of the HR intuitive, uh, because he has read and recorded the audiobook that is going to be released shortly here for the HR intuitive. Um, He has really helped me unpack to realize that that book is truly kind of like a memoir of where I am today as to why I classify myself as an HR intuitive and also why I believe that intuitive skill sets are necessary. This book is laying the platform for why those healing skill sets are necessary. So if you've read any of my bios in the last two to three years, I've really classified myself as an HR intuitive and healer. Um... And that's my specialty niche under the HR practitioner umbrella. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means, but we're going to flip things up and I'm going to do my reading at the beginning um, by reading you the introduction called The Unsaid. Uh, And I want to give you some context. I said I drafted this way back when, um, and I was actually sitting in the food court mall while... um, 
I think while my kiddos were at like some sort of uh, drop yourself off, drop them off kind of play indoor playground thing that doesn't exist anymore. Um, and if it did, I don't think a lot of them are even opened yet <laughs> post or not even post pandemic because we're still navigating the pandemic. But um, and I also don't know if I would feel comfortable with it because now I have this new awareness of germs that are all around us. Anyways, while they were there playing, I literally bought a notebook at a local store because I felt so inspired. And I remember scribbling this down. Obviously, it's been edited now a couple times, so it's a little bit cleaned up. But um, it really sets the stage as to why I felt I felt the need and that it was absolutely necessary to write this book. So now let me get to it. Here we go. So the introduction for workplace healers called The Unsaid. It was spring 2018, and I was invited to speak on facilitating culture change. The conference committee challenged me to fill my session with tangible takeaways, you know, stuff that people could implement almost immediately. I debated on doing research to jazz it up with recommendations that people may have never seen or heard, but instead I decided to keep it simple and honest. I showcased the one tool that I had utilized time and time again. The tool was a SWOT analysis, which I'm sure is familiar to you. It is a common business tool that is typically taught in introductory business classes. My session went okay. People played along, engaged, and humored me, but then the evaluations came. On a Likert scale, I was ranked average, sometimes below, and the comments reaffirmed the belief that my tangible takeaways was simply too basic for the audience. Some even went as far as to insult me as a practitioner, stating that I must not have a clue about strategy or business. To be truthful for me, strategy came second, and I could even argue that it came naturally, because what I know and what I've always known is people. And it is when you know who makes up an organization that you have the power to manifest change within them. I believe that failing to recognize the who has led us to where we are today, whether it is massive diversity initiatives, high turnover rates, toxic work environments, and a new generation with a set of demands and a new level of entitlement. We did this. We created the current chaos because we forgot the who. So it doesn't matter that you have read the latest and greatest business books or have been through hours and hours of continuing education on leadership development and philosophy. If you are not being taught how the tools or theory can be used to learn about the who, you are missing the biggest factor when it comes to strategy, period. There I was, frustrated, angry, and hurt by the comments. How do I share exactly what I do as a very respected and successful practitioner to only be laughed at? That's when I realized what had happened. I hadn't been completely honest with myself or those people. There's something else at work when I take a simple tool like a SWOT analysis, something else that I never talked about because I was afraid of being laughed at. But I was already being laughed at. So what did I have to lose? For years, when I would do my work with people, I noticed that I had a bit of an uncanny ability to connect with and know people. Being an HR practitioner, that ability proved particularly helpful. But it is this skill set that makes the simple tools like a SWOT analysis powerful and almost magical. Therefore, before we go any further, there is something that I need to put out there and own. I'm a highly intuitive empath. 
What does that mean? To put it extremely simple, I have intense gut feelings combined with an intense ability to understand other people's emotions. Therefore, when I say things like, I have a bad feeling about this, or I totally get what you're feeling, I do. It took a long time for me to accept that these abilities existed for me, and for most of my life, I assumed they were abilities that everyone had. But as I wrote my first book, From Heart to Heart, the puzzle pieces of my life, and more importantly, who I am, started to fall in place. This triggered many emotions, including a lot of shame and a lot of fear. I also had a sort of awakening, knowing that this journey of self-discovery had provided me with findings that I could never unfind. In my family, there's an old story that morphed into a playful inside joke with my father. My memories are filled with the amount of joy this particular incident brought my father every time we referenced it. The event happened at a dentist's office during one of my early childhood routine cleanings. For the entire year, my father had been displeased at my lack of flossing. He was even more irritated by my continued excellent record at the dentist because this shouldn't be possible since I didn't floss. Not flossing should almost be an instant disqualifier from having a good visit at the dentist. After the dentist gave me accolades once again for my perfect pearly whites, she went on to deliver the good news to my father while I got my fluoride treatment. Later, I would learn that my father shared with the dentist that he wouldn't hear about my impeccable pearly whites because I didn't floss. The the dentist was shocked to learn this and assured my father that she would speak with me about the significance of flossing. When the dental hygienist returned for what was supposed to be me picking out my bubblegum-flavored fluoride, she she instead came in and said that they were just informed that I do not floss regularly. I owned up to it and admitted that I rarely, if ever, did. This was then proceeded with a personal demonstration of how to floss on a gigantic plastic imitation mouth. It was followed by the hygienist presenting me with a pamphlet on flossing and inquiring in a loud, very emphasized, drawn-out manner by asking, Can you read? I confusingly responded yes and took the pamphlet. I later shared the story with my family, and my father found it hilarious. For years, we would shout back and forth to each other, Can you read? And although I never truly knew the reason behind her chosen vocal tone in question, this story reminds me of my own awakening, a disconnect that was present that I assumed was present for everyone else as well. Our culture has rules, standards, and best practices for life. One may even argue that flossing is one of these best practices. Joking aside, flossing is important, and believe me when I say that dental karma bit me in the ass as an adult. But forget that for the moment. For the sake of my point in this story, I went against a cultural norm and flourished. It came natural to me, and yet the instinctual reaction was to attempt to break me and mold me to external expectations. If I had wanted to process the story through a dark place, I could say they humiliated me with their ridiculous childlike display and offensive assumption of my lack of reading comprehension. In addition, we could probably overanalyze my father's actions, wondering why he couldn't simply be happy to have a healthy little girl, Why was it necessary to nitpick and push further? 
I use this example because I know I am not the only one who rebels in regards to this best life practice of flossing. I know many of my close friends and family who to this day still have never had any sort of practice flossing. No worries, no call outs in this book. These individuals have gone against the expectation and still flourished in their own way. They have done so while holding on to the secret that they don't floss. I want you to realize that my highly intuitive and empathic gifts are about as special as flossing. It is a talent that I have, a gift that has empowered me to live my why, but it is also a gift or ability that everyone has if they choose to develop it. Being a highly sensitive introverted child just equipped me with a natural tendency to let these abilities flourish. Recently, I had the opportunity to interview my first holistic life coach, Kara Lovehart, on the podcast regarding the topic of being an empath. Kara was the obvious choice since she had helped me greatly in navigating the discovery of my own empathic abilities. When I first began working with Kara, I had convinced myself that I was experiencing an awakening of abilities after, after I had successfully made them dormant as a child. During our interview, Kara shared something that she had never said to me directly during our coaching sessions. Our intuitive skill sets can never truly be suppressed indefinitely. They will continue to find a way to surface. It is when we choose to take on the impossible task of attempting to make them disappear that we begin the journey of denying all that we truly are. To do this takes a great amount of energy that can never be sustained. And therefore, after time, we begin to lose hold and it finds a way to make its presence known. This process sounds like a beautiful release. However, if you do the mouth right, if you do the math right, the equation of when we begin to lose the strength of constantly hiding who we are hits its tipping point in early adulthood. Just as we are beginning our professional lives, could this possibly explain the difference between clear childhood dreams of what we want to be when we grow up and the horrible loss sense of direction many of us experience upon entering the workforce? It is this inevitable leak of intuitive skill sets that has ignited the core of my work, fixing the deep ripple denial in our organizations and our lives. However, simply accepting the existence of these skill sets is not the end of the story. These skill sets, like any other, need parameters to flourish. Without parameters, intuition becomes more like an invasive, chaotic weed in the garden. However, establishing intention allows for cultivation to sprout beautiful blossoms or magnificent branches. I always believed accepting the intuitive gifts would be my greatest challenge. But when my coaching relationship ended with Kara, she left me to ponder what I wanted to use these skills for. It was a question that I had no idea how to answer. The traditional responses of conducting readings and life coaching seemed irrelevant to my professional aspirations. My initial reaction was narrow-minded, and the question Kara posed was the initial seed that I've been cultivating for five years. This book outlines the mighty root system to a tree of wisdom that has laid dormant for too long. So I'm going to pause there because... Um, I'm going to save the, la the last piece of the intro to close out this episode because basically what it transitions to is what was my final, um, 
my final assignment when I completed my master's in medical Qigong. Uh, and I'll talk about that in a moment. And so you can kind of see where I was when I started this pathway and, and felt really driven to share and write these words and create this book. But then also here, um, <laughs> you know, at the end, uh, which is kind of this pivotal transition that's actually segueing to where we are now and the research that we're doing now for the next book. So it's always, it's always interesting to me. And if you are a writer, um, an author who continues to write on a regular basis, you're always promoting one book while you're already like in the depths of the next book, uh, and the next content and having to come back. And there's a lot of times when I have to do a final read through. So like I'm doing another final read through to try to catch, you know, there's always a typo. There's always a missed word. I just feel like there's never a way to have a book be perfect unless we just keep rereading it over and over. Um, but I do a final read through and I totally forget that these things are in there. Um, same thing with like the HR intuitive, like Dave Shaverini just did the audiobook and like, we'll be talking and he'll reference something from that book. And I'll be like, Oh, that's in that book. Cause I will totally <laughs> forget. That's awful. Um, so it's always really good for me to go back and read these things as well. Um, and also like reiterates to me how much of a treasure these books are because because uh, they're capturing thoughts and insights that obviously I don't, I don't know if I would be able to recall if they weren't in this written format. So we're going to pause there because I want to talk about what Workplace Healers is all about. And really what is designed to be is the introduction to the healing work that I believe we're supposed to do in the HR function of business. So instead of saying as an HR practitioner, I'm going to say the HR function, because the HR function, when you back up from a very high level general definition, encompasses basically anything that has to do with the management of people. So if you have a business where you deal with no people and you just manage like widgets and, um, robots, like then you don't probably need this healing capacity, except for maybe on yourself, <laughs> because you're that person. And we'll see that uh, the individual piece is huge uh, component in this equation. But for any business that has people, whether it is customers or clients, um, it is really important to recognize the healing aspect at this level from an HR perspective. When we think about healing, we are always so, we're so quick to just automatically label it as something that we do when we don't feel well from a sick standpoint. Like it's, it's gotta be, you know, isolated to the medical arena. Um, and as I have continued my research and work, um, I found it as the most natural word to describe what could combat disengaged behavior in the workplace. You know, if you look at the synonyms of people when they are disengaged from their work, they don't feel well. They don't feel like themselves. They're not able to show up at their best. And so they need a healing modality. I also have come to believe that the trajectory of disengagement does lead to physical wellness issues. And so I think everything is absolutely connected. But as we dive into the healing and the suffering of people at work, uh, because 
the majority of us have to work for our livelihood. If we want to live, if we want to take care of ourselves, we have to work. So everybody is a worker someplace. And so now you think about that worker is somebody else's client, is somebody else's son, is somebody else's uh, wife. Uh, we're all connected. And so the fact that we spend like the majority of our life in the work environment means that we have this place that could be this powerful catalyst to set people up to be able to be healed and engage in their life in a whole new way, to show up truly as their best self. Um, and so this is really what fascinates me when we talk about life coaching and then professional executive coaching. Um, and then the great myth of the work-life balance. You know, I think that we are one person and this whole separation of authenticity is just tearing us apart. And in fact, these these factions or compartments that sometimes we feel like we need to put ourselves into is exactly sometimes the healing that needs to happen. You know, I think of people sharing with me why they choose to go to therapy and what they're hoping for the outcomes. When they obtain those outcomes, there is a such like an undeniable outcome that is going to positively impact the workplace. It's going to positively impact the community because it's going to be how that person interacts with every person they come in contact with. So that's the workplace. If they are working for you, that's your workplace. If they are your client, I mean, just take a moment and think about the people that you work with that are a joy versus not so much a joy. Um, and then I want you to just spend a little bit of a moment to think that those who are not a joy are suffering and need some help. And I think it's very quick from a strict HR practitioner function, and we've been trained this way, that we can put these really strict boundaries in the corners and say, um, because this is what we do for a living, we can't help them beyond this point. So we got to pass them off to insurance. We got to send them to the doctor. We got to send them to a mental health professional. We have employee assistance programs. We have, uh, oh, exercise helps get those endorphins pumping. So that's going to make them more happy. And all of that is true. However, it is the collective of all of that together that's going to allow for the healing to happen. And it's the recognition of the individual and what that person needs that's going to make the difference. And I'm going to tell you, <laughs> working in HR, if you are building relationships with your people, if you're truly connected to your organization, if you're a leader who's truly connected to your organization and has relationships with your team, you know what is happening and going on. Sometimes you are the person who directs them to the resource that they need. And so this healing capacity is not turning you into a therapist or turning you into a doctor or giving you extra work to do. It is adjusting how we coach, how we interact, the dialogue that we have by increasing our awareness of understanding what's really happening with a person. What are the nonverbals? What are the cues that are are coming through that let us know that there could be something going on beneath the surface and how can I help 
how can we help as an organization? And I'll be honest, you know, toxic workplace environments, this is the whole basis of my doctoral work. I really believe there are patterns that will hit across all of your employees that will let us know that uh, there are certain things that the culture is basically, you know, toxic in nature that is feeding the disengagement levels. And we can actually tackle those things and see the employees come back to life do this healing work, but it is healing work. It's not, you know, healing includes accountability. It includes responsibility. It includes some interventions, but it's all about seeing an improvement and seeing people get better. Wow. Just went on a really big riff there. (laughs) So workplace healers is divided into three parts as an introductory. The first one is all talking about current state um, and really making the call and justification. So building the case for why healing is needed as a skill set in our organizations um, and why it's, you know, and us not having it, the lacking of that skill set, the damage that it's doing. So that's all about part one. Part two, we transition into preparing you to be a healer. Um, and I know that uh, if you know my background, because I'm a certified medical Qigong therapist, I do actual table protocols where people get on massage tables and I work with energy. This is not about that. This is about the fact that you've got to clear your own stuff before you can actually uh, access these tools that you need to do this type of work. If you are suffering, If you are going through so much, which is totally possible because you're human. (laughs) So just because you're a leader or you're an HR or whatever does not mean that your humanity gets sucked out of you. And I know sometimes it may feel like that, that you just go in and you're being numb. And currently in the, the current climate, I think that's very, very appropriate. But you are human too. And here's where the problem is. It starts with you. And if, if you don't start to see a shift within yourself, you can't even use these tools in an organization. Um, so a lot of times what I have found, and this is why the premise for the book, when I've been working with clients organizationally, I am working and coaching with the HR practitioner to help them clear themselves, prepare themselves so that they can use these skill sets and work with the organization. And while they're preparing themselves and doing this work individually, I'm working with the organization. Um, I will also say that that means that I have to live life a certain way because I really have come to respect and know that I have to be a vessel that's ready to be able to do these kinds of skill sets. And when I say that, that sounds really out there. But when I say that, what it really means is having a really good understanding of how I'm processing emotions, having a really great understanding of who I am and my authentic nature, um, understanding what kind of support system I need around me. Um, and, and, these are the things that we'll tackle. We'll tackle about processing emotions and, and and all that kind of stuff. Part two, when I wrote it, made me really nervous because there's so much that can come up when we start looking and caring for ourselves, especially you, you, the HR practitioner and leader. 
um, we're taught to put ourselves on a back burner. And so when we finally get to look in the mirror, there can be some ugly stuff there. And we can find that there's some stuff that's been suppressed that we didn't even know was there. Um, and so one of the things I'm really, really proud of in this book is I've built, I shouldn't say I have built, me and some really great friends have created a toolkit as an appendix in the back that allows you to tap into any of the exercises that I provide throughout the book really easily. But then I also have two other experts who have joined me. One is a mental health professional. It's going to talk all about crises and um, anything that can happen, you know, as you dive and, and maybe if you realize that there's some real dark stuff coming up, how to handle that. And then I also partnered with one of my best friends, uh, who is a meditation teacher, a yoga teacher, a nutritionist. She's just a beautiful individual. And she has given us some of her best tools as well to help as you're easing into some of these practices that maybe you've never done before. So that's part two. So if you're thinking, oh my gosh, so this book, Yes, this book has all of that. And we're just in the first two parts and plus the appendix. So the healing toolkit, the um, learning how to prepare yourself so that you can awaken your healing skill sets by healing yourself. So restoring your own personal engagement um, in life. I want to just say in life, I've been saying in work, but you know, now that we're real, you know, work is one of those bridge words that I use so that People know that's where my specialty niche is. But as I have been doing my research, I have found that it is life. It's just one big bucket. It's life. Um, and then also just taking time to really identify our current state and our organizations around the function that's supposed to be caring for people and why this skill set is so needed and why it is currently lacking. So then what is part three? So part three, I'm able to give a taste of the healing work in an organization. So I give you an idea of how to do this. And what I actually did, and this is why I wanted to read the intro, because I think it's really powerful. Um, you know, where I got slammed in that speaking engagement, which, you know, kudos, I fingers crossed, I'm supposed to speak there this at the end of this year. Uh, in December at the same place um, now where I uh, where I can stand fully authentic as to who I am and and what I believe in. Um, but that was one of my last speaking engagements. I did kind of um, kind of being in the closet and not really stepping into who I am as a complete authentic individual. And um, I shared the tool without without the healing aspects. And so in this third part, I give you a couple others. Um, one of which, cause I have a background in training and development. The Addy model is really solid for us. I take the Addy model and I add the energetic components. So you can learn how to create a team intervention that is successful by paying attention to the energetic components and how to start reading energy in your workplaces. Um, and this is the work that I've been doing for the last three years now with practitioners and organizations where nothing else has worked and uh, we're kind of learning it together. I mean, this is, this is a new, a new, uh, um, a new way forward. Uh, I didn't never had a mentor who came in and talked about looking and reading energy. You know that energy is real. You can feel the chemistry between you and other people. And I'm not talking about romantically, even though romantically intimacy is, is definitely an energetic connection. But 
you know, the way we get along with people, the way we get excited about things, that's energy that's like pulsating through our veins, through these pathways, these meridians that the Chinese have outlined. And so um, I really think this is the future. And this book is the introduction to that work. So if you want to understand how I got there and why I'm there, that's what this book is about. That is coming on June 11th called Workplace Healers. Um, So yeah, so I think that's a little bit of a sneak peek. I'm going to end by finishing off the introduction and reading that with you. Um, But yeah, so I'm really excited um, to get this out there and share it with you. And in fact, we'll do um, a special call for those who are listening to this episode. So first come, first serve. The first 10 people who email me um, asking for an early copy of the book, I will send you one, ship it to you. Send me an email at samm at heartcenter.com. And remember that's hrartcenter.com. So Sam with two M's at hrartcenter.com. Send me an email. Tell me that you listened to the Workplace Healers episode. You're really intrigued and you'd love a free book. And if you're one of the first 10 from when this episode is released, as soon as I get those early copies, I will put one in the mail to you as a gift. Okay. Um, all right, so let's finish out this intro. So this section of the intro is called the Tao. The Chinese word Tao means a way or a path. Confucians use the term Tao to speak of the way human beings ought to behave in society. When we think of individuals pursuing the Tao, it is natural to have visions of monks isolated in the mountains that meditate in silence for days. In fact, when I first began studying the art of Qigong, I believed that would be my fate inevitably as well. However, the true definition of the work brings to light that the Tao is merely an intentional path, a methodology. You might say for how we should function in life. For me, my work is about bringing the Tao to human resources. The way in which HR works with people and its lack of Tao has caused the current state of crisis we are seeing universally in workspaces. One that is causing employees to revolt, believing that they must become their own personal advocate because the organization is too disconnected from humanity. That is why I believe it is time for an HR revolution. One where those of us who have been called to this work step up and embrace what we were always meant to be. Historically, HR evolved out of a need to complete tasks that were overwhelming to organizational management. The commonality of these tasks was that they all revolved around people. The birth of the HR profession was the first recognition that people were a significant source of energy for companies. People provided essential energy to the organization, but also required energy as well. A great balance between give and take was necessary to create an environment where both parties benefited. The lack of balance is what has now resulted in a broken base compensation system, non-inclusive work environments that hinder authenticity, as well as legislation that requires black and white policies. HR was intended to be the great caretaker of organizational energy. 
this essential aspect of the role was never realized because the significance of its impact was always severely underestimated. Now in a world where no one wants to work, many accept that things cannot continue as before, yet are lost as to where to start. This is a powerful, unique window of opportunity that has presented itself to HR. Yet practitioners are too tired and overwhelmed to even consider the option to seize this moment. In fact, many have even given in to the internal calls to retreat and restore personally, exiting the profession altogether, while those barely holding it together feel helpless in providing a genuine hope that it will one day get better or at least lighter. Before we can begin, begin thinking about the Tao in HR, healing is in order. The toll that the current environment has taken by people must be undone. In an act that will restore us to a time when we had the energy to work. Life is one large energy exchange with little to no training on how to care for our personal energy. We hear loose references to it by being encouraged to establish boundaries or make time for self-care, even the emphasis placed on the importance of physical rest. However, there is no true training on how to care for your energetic outputs and inputs. If you notice, I reference that this healing and restoration is necessary for us. We as practitioners are included. In fact, it has to start there because we are the only ones who can facilitate the organizational healing needed around the world but we cannot facilitate until we have healed and restored ourselves. This is what this book is for, guiding you to heal and restore yourself while then giving you a taste of what it will be like to heal others. My hope is the taste of healing power will inspire you to continue your own personal cultivation and open your eyes to what the working world could be like once the Tao is present. While I often speak to HR practitioners specifically, know that I view the definition much more broadly. In fact, my belief is that all of leadership is part of HR and therefore leading people will require a healing skill set as well. In 2011, a city in Japan was completely devastated by a tsunami. All that was left was one pine tree. This tree became a symbol of resilience and reawakening. If you're still reading this, listening to this, you are resilient and are reawakening. You are still standing because you know there is more and this is the missing wisdom you have been seeking. This book will share this wisdom in three levels. Three spiritual animal guides will help you or help us to provide insight on the scope and intention of these levels, which are stacked in vertical fashion. Our animal friends are sitting in a pine tree and your growth throughout this book will climb this tree and greeting each one respectively as you evolve. The groundhog. We begin on the ground with the groundhog. The groundhog invites us to find answers within by burrowing deeply. It is often said that when you dream of a groundhog, it represents subconscious information coming to the surface. Therefore, this level is all about uncovering what you already know, but have yet to verbalize or acknowledge. A huge component of this level is awakening your intuitive skill set, what my book, The HR Intuitive, is all about. For our purposes here, we will burrow deep into the current state of organizational HR personalities and how they manifest. Understanding why we function the way we do on a daily basis creates a primer for further exploration and evolution. The Morning Dove 
Hidden halfway up somewhere in the branches, the morning dove awaits. The morning dove represents peace and power. It provides a sign of hope to those that have been suffering. It represents the value your healing capacity will bring to your employees. In part two, we begin the act of cleansing and cultivation that will enable you to utilize your healing power. In addition, this process will allow you to experience a personal sense of peace and hope that you've been craving. And finally, the hawk. Up in the tippy top of the tree sits the hawk, watching and waiting. Many say that hawks represent a spiritual awareness accompanied with the gift of sight. When hawks serve as a spirit animal for individuals, they are known for intelligence, adaptability, and independence. The hawk for us represents what is possible when the Tao is present in HR. This is something that I have yet to fully see myself, as we are deep in the trenches of healing work before we are able to truly vision. The hawk represents what's to come, what we will be, and the way we will do it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Heartworker Book Club podcast. I hope that it served you. And if it did, the best way that you can support this podcast is by leaving a review on your favorite listening platform. And until next time, happy reading and writing.